right, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Spring break crowd. It's actually a lot bigger than I thought it would be. So good job, everybody, for showing up spring break. Uh, on spring break. If you didn't know it was spring break, because you don't have kids in school, it doesn't matter to you, but it matters to us, okay? It's a week from hell. But um, <laughs> if you are, I'm kidding, if, you, if you're watching online, extra points if you're on spring break vacation in Florida or wherever you're going and you're still watching online, Jesus told me to tell you he's given you extra points in heaven today. So good morning, Revelation chapter 2, if you have your Bible, you can head there. Uh, my name is Pastor Jake, I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks and um, I have three kids, uh, 10 years old, 5 years old, and 3 years old. And I don't know if it's just my kids or what, but one of the phrases that I seem to kind of have on repeat um, in my, as a father is that, that your actions are what matter, right? Like your actions are what matter. Not just words or intent or whatever, but your actions. And uh, my mom used to say it, but she said it a little differently, right? She said your actions speak what? Louder than words. So your mom said that same thing. It's a mom thing. And so um, your actions speak louder than words. So I'm constantly trying to get my, my three little leeches, I mean kids, um, to, to understand this, that, that it's your actions that really matter uh, more than anything else. And I've got the oldest uh, that is just uh, an amazing young woman. She loves the Lord. And if you were to ask her, do you love your five-year-old brother? She would say probably with some emotion, yes, I love him. I love my brother Joshua. But at times, there are times where she struggles to, to, to show that love in action, right? She struggles to show that love. She believes she loves him, and I think she does, but she struggles at times for, to, to allow her behavior to line up with that belief about how she feels. And I'm constantly trying to teach her that it's the words and the actions that come out when things are difficult that really prove what you actually think, what you actually believe in here and in here. And so... It's not when things are easy, it's when things are difficult. And I try to teach this to my son as well. He's five, and um, it's a little harder teaching to him, uh, this idea that your actions matter and your intent isn't everything and all of that, because he wears his motives and his intent and his emotions on his sleeve. And so he'll, you know, I'll be like, Joshua, why did you sprint the entire length of the house and execute like a perfect people's flying people's elbow, WWE style, on your sister's face? Why did you do that? And he'll be like, she made me mad. And I'm like, okay, but do you love your sister? And he'll get emotional. He'll say, yes, I love my sister, daddy. I love her. Okay, do you want her to cry? Do you want her to have teeth? <laughs> and she said, I don't want him to cry. I, yes, I want her to have teeth, Daddy. I, I, I want that. Okay, well, then maybe we shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't do that, right? Like maybe we shouldn't do the people's elbow on her face. And he'll say, but she made me mad. She made me mad. And like every great parent, I'll get him to apologize, right? And maybe in your house, like a half-hearted apology works, like, sorry, that doesn't work in our house. We want tears. We want contrition. We want, we want all those things. And so we'll, wait, we'll make him really say he's sorry, and he'll, he'll do this heartfelt apology to his sister. And then like five seconds later, he's sprinting across 
again, and there's an elbow in the face, and there's crying and gnash, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth. And then there's a heartfelt apology, and we do it all. Again, he's not old enough to really get it, but I have to teach it to him now so that when he's old enough to get it, he can get it, right? That's part of parenting. And then I have a three-year-old, my three-year-old Hannah. She never messes up. She's perfect. But do you ever try to teach your kids this? Have you ever tried to teach your kids, like, actions are what matter? You can have intent, and you can have motive, and you can have good thoughts. You can have all of that. But if your actions don't line up with those things, in the end, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. And it's not just with kids. If you've been married longer than a week, then you probably had this happen with your spouse, that, that there was some behavior that wasn't lining up with belief, and there were some actions that, that weren't lining up with some words that were said and some commitments that were made, right? And, and you had to wrestle through that. And the longer you're married, the, the more you should notice the, the, the inconsistencies in your own life, right, instead of in their life. And you should have maybe you some more grace, and I'm speaking to the ones of you who, when I just said that about your spouse, you looked at them. Maybe you should look in, word. It's not just your marriage, but even at your workplace. If your boss was constantly coming and dropping stuff on your desk just five minutes before you were supposed to leave for the weekend or whatever, and he goes, I'm sorry I'm having to do this, but I couldn't get this done, and I need you to work overtime, and, and it won't happen again. I'm not going to do this again. It won't happen again, but it kept happening, and then you'd, you'd have a problem, right? You'd say actions are what matters. Actions speak louder than words. People say it's the thought that counts. Not really. Not really, because you can think about doing something, not do it, and your thought literally doesn't matter at all, right? It literally does not count. Your thoughts don't count. People say things like, thinking of you this week, as you go through this hard time, I'm thinking about you, sending thoughts your way. First of all, how do you do that? I don't even know how to do that. This? This? How do you send thoughts somebody's way? I'm not really sure how to do that. But I'm thinking about you this week. It's like, great, You're sending thoughts my way. Great, thanks. Thanks. Hey, could you send some money my way? Because I'm struggling financially. Or could you, could you maybe come to my house and spend some time with me and talk to me and encourage me? Could you do, no? Okay, thoughts will work. Just send thoughts. Just send thoughts my way. Thoughts actually aren't what matter. It's actions that matter. So we know this. Actions matter they matter more than your thoughts, your words, your, your beliefs. And in fact, your actions are what prove what you believe, like what you really believe. But what I'm saying is that belief, I'm sorry, behavior confirms belief, right? Behavior confirms belief. So if your behavior is not in line with, you, with what you think you believe, then it's your belief that actually needs to be reworked, not your behavior. Your behavior doesn't need modification. It's your belief that needs modification. And then your behavior, your actions will follow suit. So start with that, that belief. We know this. Actions are what matters. And yet this interesting thing happens. Um, that I, think it's, I think it's weird. I think it's interesting. Um, we, we apply this and expect this whole principle of actions are what matters in every area of our lives. And then 
something, like some magical thing happens when we show up to church or um, when we are at a Bible study or when we are having a conversation with a Christian friend and all of a sudden this basic principle that actions are what matters suddenly becomes untrue. And so when actions aren't right and behavior doesn't line up with belief, we say things like, well, God knows your heart. It's fine. God knows your heart, it's what you believe that matters. Or when the scriptures call us to something greater, they call us to be something greater. They, they, they call us to, 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 to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, not just do church as a hobby, as something we show up to, but that we actually sacrifice for the cause of Christ. And we, we, it calls us to order our lives differently than our neighbors and friends do who don't know Jesus. When we're hit in the face with the truth of God's word, where Jesus says, you're going to know who's mine and who's not mine. You're going to know who's a Jesus follower and who isn't by, by the fruit that their lives produce, the actions that, they're, that they are taking in their lives. When we're hit in the face with things like that, we sometimes will say things like, well, but you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith, not works. They just say things like, don't be legalistic. Be legalistic, pastor. Don't be legalistic. It's all about what we believe, the faith we have in our hearts. Grace, not works, as if belief and faith can somehow be separated from action, behavior, works. And I get it. Like, there's definitely a bit of a tension in the scriptures about this over and over and over. It says grace, faith, not works. Grace, faith, not works. It seems like Jesus was always trying to get the religious leaders of his day to get this principle. He would say things like, you've got the law, that's great, but you have to be born again. And that happens by the grace of God. He said over and over and over, your faith has healed you. Your faith has set you free. And yet he did not once say your works have set you free. Your works have healed you. He generally didn't focus on outward action, but on inward transformation, which comes from God by grace. Romans 3 talks about how we're all sinners, but the believer is justified by grace. Ephesians 2 is the one that everybody goes to, and that is that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works that anyone should boast. 2 Thessalonians 2 says that Jesus gave us eternal encouragement, the internal encouragement of his hope by his grace. It's all over the scriptures. We're saved by grace. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. amen. But James 2 says faith without works is dead. And he says, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by what I do. James 2 says that Titus the book of Titus over and over and over, the apostle Paul is writing and, and he says over and over and over that good doctrine leads to good works. Good belief, right belief, right theology leads to good works. And it says in that book that those who believe in Jesus should devote themselves to good works. And I love 1 John three seventeen through 18, but it's so difficult to actually live out. 1 John 3.17 says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. 
Let us not work in, let us not love in word or talk, but in action and in truth. So it's this, it's this weird thing. It's this weird thing. Actions are what matter in most arenas, if not all arenas of our lives. It's, it's what we teach our kids. It's what we expect from others. But then when it comes to the things of Christ and his church, all of a sudden, that's not true. In that arena, it's what we believe that matters. It's what's in our heart. Because works aren't what save you. And so somewhere along the way, works went from being unnecessary for salvation to unimportant altogether. Let's read our text for today from Revelation chapter 2 with all of that in mind. We are in a series called Dear Church where we're looking at seven letters out of Revelation 2 and 3 written by Jesus through the apostle John to seven churches in the ancient world around 95 AD. And we've looked at the first three, the letters to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and then last week to Pergamum. And if you missed any of those, make sure you get them on iTunes or our website so that you can catch up. Today, uh, we look at the letter that Jesus sends to the church at Thyatira. Thyatira, we know the least about this city out of the seven cities. That's probably the least influential of the seven cities, and yet it has the longest letter written to it. Verse 18 of Revelation chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Each of the seven letters begins with this description of the risen Christ. This letter to Thyatira begins with this fear-invoking, terrifying vision of Jesus. He's got fire in his eyes and his feet are burnished bronze. Not, not, a, not a pixie fairy, like sprinkling love dust everywhere, but terrifying, terrifying, awe-inspiring, fear-provoking. Look at verse 19. He says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Okay, so Christ commends the church in Thyatira for their what? Works. Everybody say works. He commends them for their works. And, and not just, you know, general works. He, he lists their works. He says, first he says love and faith. And that's what, that's what you'd figure, right? And you'd think, oh, love and faith. Yeah, we're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to have faith. And so if he stopped there, you might go, oh, I'm doing pretty good, actually, because I, I love some people and I go to church. And so I have faith and things are good. I'm, 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 I'm kind of nailing this whole thing. Uh, no problem. But, but then he doesn't stop there, right? Um, he says love and faith and then service. It's like, ugh, Jesus, why you got to go to service? You know, because now it's like something I have to actually do. And other people know what I'm doing. And now you're getting into action. It's not just love and faith in my heart that nobody can really know, but it's, it's, it's action, service. And then it's patient endurance. And you're reading, you're going, ah, oh, man, I'm going to get a 50 on this test. Because I can, I got love and faith because I love my family and I go to church, so check those boxes. But service, I, I may serve some people, but I don't live a life of service. And now patient endurance, Jesus, are you, are you, now I have to patiently endure? I mean, endure trials, endure not getting what I want. I always get what I want. Now I have to endure difficulty in my life. 
Then he says that your latter works exceed the first, and that's a tie-in to Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. They, they, Jesus said to them, you've got to go back to the deeds you did at first because you're missing it. You lost your first love. You, you've left those actions you took at first. In Thyatira, he says, actually, your, your latter works are exceeding those first ones. You're headed in the right direction. But, verse 20, but I have this against you. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children Dead. Okay, so there is a false prophetess whom Jesus calls Jezebel. Her name is not actually Jezebel. Um, He's likening her to the Jezebel of the Old Testament who was just a peach of a woman. Just a peach of a woman. It's actually the opposite. You can check out her story in 1 Kings chapter 16. There's a reason you don't know anybody named Jezebel, right? But she's enticing some of the believers in Thyatira, surprise, surprise, to sexual immorality and to meat, eating meat, sacrifice or food, sacrificed to idols. So compromise, like we talked about last week with the church at Pergamum. Jesus has given her time, but she will not repent. And so now he's caused this sickness to come upon her in punishment, in judgment. And anyone who continues with her, he says, will go through a great tribulation. And oh yeah, he said he's going to kill her kids. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus just said. So, so let me just kind of have a hard stop here and talk to you for just a little bit about false teachers and false prophets, okay? False teachers and false prophets. I want to say three things about this. There will be nothing on the screen about this, so you're just going to have to try to figure out what the three things are, okay, and write them down. So three things about false teachers and false prophets really quick. The Bible warns over and over and over against false teachers and false prophets. First Peter 2 verse 1 says that there will be false teachers among you. There are going to be false teachers in the church coming uh, against you. They are everywhere, false teachers and false prophets. Satan is the great counterfeiter. Galatians 1 says that he has a false gospel. 2 Corinthians 11 says that he has, that false gospel is preached by false ministers and produces false Christians, false believers. And Matthew 13 Uh, tells us that Satan plants his counterfeit believers wherever God plants true believers. So the devil is working overtime trying to confuse and deceive God's people in God's church through false teaching. He was doing it in 95 AD in some of the first churches ever to exist, and he's doing it in 2019 in our church and every other church because they are among us. They are among us. And I pray for this. I pray for you about this constantly. It's probably the number one prayer that I pray for you as the sheep that God has given me to shepherd. I pray for you all the time that you would have discernment, that you would be able to see false teaching for what it is, that you would be tethered tightly, closely to the truth of Jesus Christ, to, the, to God's word. 
Because listen, beloved, not everyone with a pulpit, a publisher, or a program on TV is God's messenger. Not everyone with a pulpit, a publisher, or a program on TV or radio is speaking the truth of God. Not everyone who sounds good and makes you feel good is actually from God. Jezebel in this church in Thyatira is a leader within the church. She's people, she's, she's a person who people listen to. She has professed openly her commitment to Christ, her belief in Jesus, her faith in Jesus. False teachers are everywhere. They're everywhere, inside the church. So you have to be careful. You have to be careful. The second thing I would say is that false teachers and false prophets are not the only ones, are not only people who, who stand up on a, on a stage or on a platform and teach or speak. Each of us are influencing other people. We are leading other people, teaching other people with our actions, the words that we say, the priorities um, that we make, our, our, our words, everything. Every decision you make is, is a leadership decision. Hear that. Every decision that you make is a leadership decision because you are connected to somebody. Somebody is watching you and being led by the decisions that you are making. And so while there are a lot of false teachers standing on stages and showing up on your TV and your news feed, there are many more who are not. They are just divisive people working their influence in churches all over the world, ours included. Oftentimes working very quietly behind the scenes until things blow up. Divisive people. Because that's Satan's goal, to divide the church. They're in every church. You can tell them, because anytime there's an announcement made or a decision made about a change in direction or, or something at the church, you can tell these divisive people because they're the ones that are like, oh, they're the ones that go straight to the conspiracy theory, right? Like, oh, man, I heard this about what's really happening. and Did you hear what's going on? Oh, my goodness. That's divisive people. You can know it immediately that they are divisive people when they are doing that. And so I wrote this message um, the last week um, and for today, not this last week, but the week before for today. But even in this last couple of days, I've dealt with divisive people. We made a, 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 an announcement last Sunday that Pastor Chris, our student ministries pastor, is, is stepping down out of student ministry and moving on to what God would have him do. It's been a four-year process. I've been here two years. It's been a four-year process uh, of God revealing this to him, and we've been working with them, and we've even, you know, talked to him about a couple other positions at our church, and, and God's just been clear. No, I'm moving you to something new, something better, something great for your family, and so we're just trying to support him. There is no goofiness going on. There is no conspiracy going on, and yet just a couple days ago, I hear that, hey, I was talking to so-and-so, and they said that so-and-so, this is the third so-and-so, second so-and-so, I don't know how many so-and-sos, but they were saying, this, this so-and-so I know, the, the, the one that was talking, and we'll just call her Mrs. Divisive, And so Mrs. Divisive was saying, hey, there's something going on at, at Great Oaks that's bad, and that's why Pastor Chris is leaving, and, and this Mrs. Divisive doesn't even go to our church. 
And then somebody shares the video we had about it on Facebook and says, oh, I'm so, so sad about what's going on at my church or my old church because they don't go to our church either. You can tell divisive people because when something is announced or said, they're the ones talking about it and causing conspiracy. Here's another way you can tell divisive people. Divisive people will never talk to the original person about what they're talking about. They won't. They can't and be divisive. And so your first question, if you have a little bit of an inclination, your first question is to go, have you talked to them about this? They say, no. You go, then we're not going to talk about it anymore. You should go talk to them, right? You with me? And so divisive, I just thought that was interesting. I wrote this message, and then I actually dealt with this this last week. Divisive people are everywhere. False teachers are everywhere. They're among us, and they're not just the ones on stage. They're divisive people working behind the scenes. And the last thing I would say about false prophets and false teachers is that Jesus ain't playing with them. Jesus ain't playing with them. Everybody say that. Ready? Jesus ain't playing with them. He ain't playing with false teachers and prophets. There is no place in Jesus' church for unrepentant, divisive people. You go, wait a second. Jesus accepts everybody. Wait a second. There's no place in, in Jesus' church for, uh, yeah, unrepentant, divisive people. Just look. There just isn't. Look at, look at this letter we just read. Jezebel's out. I mean, she is out. She's going to get sick. Anybody who messes with her is going to get sick, go through a great tribulation, and her kids are going to die. And then there's Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, the apostle Paul is writing about good works. And he's talking about how great, how salvation is, is by grace through faith, but that's not it. That's not all. It's by grace through faith for good works. And he's listing out these good works and these not so good works that we should Stay away from. And he says this about divisive people in verse 10 and 11 in Titus chapter 3. He says, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Jesus ain't playing with him. He ain't going to play with people who are stirring up division in his church. There is no place in Jesus' church for unrepentant, divisive people. They are a tool of the devil to derail God's church. And Jesus has no patience for them. No patience whatsoever. So. If this is you, if you find yourself dividing, if you find yourself speaking against, causing divisions, talking to this person about that person, getting people on your side against whatever has come out that you didn't like, gossiping, slandering, backbiting, working against, if this is you, hear the warning. Hear the warning. Jesus, Jesus ain't playing. You better repent. Confess and change direction. Repent. Okay, on that joyful note, 
Let's go into verse 23, the rest of verse 23 of our letter. This is one in this letter that if you're going to memorize something, this might be what you would want to memorize. It says in the rest of verse 23, Jesus says, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each each of you according to your works. I search mind and heart, and I give according to your works. Now, if we, he, so first he says, I search mind and heart. And if we stopped there, it'd be easy, right? We could fake it. If it was just mind and heart, we could fake it. We couldn't, you can't fake it with Jesus, but you could fake it with other people. And you could go, hey, you don't know my mind. You don't know my heart, only Jesus. Even if you were challenged, you could say, ah, you don't know my heart. You don't know my mind. Jesus knows that. But if he stopped there, we could do that. But he didn't stop there. He said, he knows your mind and your heart, and he will give to you according to your what? Works. There it is again. Oh, it's like now Jesus wants some action. Action everybody else can see. And in the end, we're going to be rewarded or punished based on those works, based on that action. Not not on what we believe in our head. Not on agreeing that Jesus died and rose again. Not on checking the box, the Christian box, instead of the atheist or the Buddhist or the Hindu box on the survey. but, But in actually acting it out, something happening in your life, it's, it's going to be based on our works. Why? Because true faith always ends in action. Always. True faith always ends in action. There is no faith without works. Now, understand, there can be works without faith, right? That's the fear. There can be works without faith, but there cannot be faith without works. Faith without works is no faith at all. It is dead, as James says. So if you have no action, if you have no works, then you would have to wonder if you actually have faith or not. If your faith is true, if you really believe what you say you believe, or if your faith is really just a ruse, a hobby, something to keep your spouse happy, something to make yourself feel a little bit better about what you did last week. So he, he searches mind and heart, and he gives to each of us according to our works, mind, heart, and works, all three. All right, let's read the rest of this letter. There's this warning, this rebuke against those who would be the false teachers or follow the false teaching. He's pushing us towards works, and then he kind of makes a turn here, and he begins to encourage those who have not fallen, who have not given in to false teachers. And he says this in verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. If anybody tries to teach you the deep things of Satan, you just say no, right? Call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There is so much coming against God's truth and Christ's church in our day. So much division, so much false teaching, so much compromise. It it can be exhausting having the same conversations with people over and over, the same debates, the same back and forth. It can be discouraging seeing people who used to walk in the truth 
falling, being swayed by the lies, dropping like flies one by one. If that's you, you're holding to the truth, but man, this is difficult. Jesus says, I don't lay on you any other burden. You may be going, am I doing something wrong? Am I supposed to be doing something different? Am I, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? He goes, I don't lay any other burden on you. Just hold fast to what you already have. Just hold fast to what you have until I come. Keep my works until the end. Keep the faith. Finish the race. You have all that you need. And then he says, if you do that, I'll give you the authority over the nations. In other words, when I come and I set up my kingdom, you're going to lead with me. And then he says this. He says, if you hold fast to what you have until I return, I'll give you the morning star. In this context, the morning star is Jesus himself. And so he says, I'm your reward. If you'll just keep the faith and finish the race, I am your reward. My presence. The burden lifted. So be encouraged by that. Listen, some of you are doing, many of you are doing great. I see you. I see what you're doing. You, you haven't bought into the enemy's lies. You're holding fast to the, to the truth of God. You've, you've put God's purposes over your preferences, God's mission over your methods. You, you've, you've held strong to the truth, even in the midst of all these lies in our culture. Your priorities are right. You're standing on the truth of God. Be encouraged. Jesus is your reward. He sees what you're doing, and he wrote you a letter to say that he's pleased with you and that he will not add to you any other burden. He won't put any other burden. Just hold fast to what you have until he returns. All right, let's, let's end this way. Actions. Actions matter, but you, but you knew that already. It's just hard to apply that to your faith because you've been taught all these years that actions actually don't matter all that much when it comes to Jesus stuff, that it's really just about what you believe in your head. But actions matter here too, and each of us, whether we like it or not, is leading other people with our actions, our decisions, the, the words that we speak. And, and on a cosmic, like eternity type level, there's really only two directions you can lead people with those actions, those words, those decisions, those priorities. There's really only two directions. You can either lead them to Christ or you can lead them away from Christ. That's really the only option here. And, and if you're leading people away from Christ, if you're dividing them further and further away from Jesus and his church, then the Bible would put you into a category of people that it calls false prophets or false teachers. Whether you have a, a pulpit and a mic or just an iPhone and a quiet whisper. So all of us have this potential to divide God's church and, 
And Jesus ain't playing when it comes to dividing his church. I mean, the, the, the beginning of this letter had this, this just fear-invoking, terrifying vision of the risen Christ. I mean, he, he has fire in his eyes, and his feet are burnished bronze, which means that he's able to chase down the enemy and stomp on his lying face, just like Genesis chapter 3 told us he would in the Garden of Eden. And so this majestic, terrifying image of the risen in Christ, it, it, should, it should make us get serious. It should make us maybe fall on our knees and go, am I, am I teaching what I'm supposed to be teaching? With my words, to my family, with my actions at work, with the priorities that I make, where I spend my time and my money, am I teaching what I'm supposed to be teaching? I mean, his eyes are like flames of fire. Am I in the right? I mean, am I being faithful to the truth? His feet are like burnished bronze. With the words that I speak, the actions that I take, the opinions I pass on, the posts and comments that I share, the places I spend my money and my time, am I... Am I in the right? I mean, it should at least cause us to pause. It should probably cause us to bow. It might even cause us to repent, to ask for forgiveness, because we are, with our actions, words, priorities, living like the risen Christ doesn't exist. Or that Jesus in our head is less this fear-provoking, terrifying image of Revelation 1 and 2. Fire in his eyes, bronze feet. He's got a double-edged sword. He's the first and the last. He holds stars in the palm of his hands. It's less like that. And the Jesus in our head is more like a, a fairy godmother. Or worse, a servant whose life's goal is to make us happy. I mean, when you go to say something important, when you, when you go to plan out your week and decide where you're going to spend your time and where you're going to spend your money, when you go to comment or to, to post, is this what you're thinking? I mean, are you thinking, God, oh God, I don't want to mess this up. Oh, God, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to divide. I don't want to lead people astray. Jesus, you said in Revelation 1 and 2 that your eyes are like a flame of fire and your feet are like burnished bronze and you've got this double-edged sword and you're the first and the last and you hold stars in the palm of your hand. Jesus, you said that when you speak, it's this overwhelming thing and your face shines like the sun. Oh, God. I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to miss this. I want your pleasure, your glory, your will alone, not my own. Oh, God, with the influence you've given me, the words you've given me to speak, the actions I take, let me lead people towards you and not away from you, God. I mean, is this what we're thinking? Is this the way we're approaching this whole thing? Maybe it should be. 
I mean, if our actions speak louder than our words, maybe it should be. If truth or, or true faith always ends in action, maybe it should be. If you and I are, whether we've got a stage and a mic or an iPhone and a quiet whisper, if you and I are with our actions leading people either closer to Christ or farther away from him, maybe this is how we should be approaching this thing. Maybe I'm crazy, but maybe this is how it should be. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word that is a double-edged sword and does get to the truth. We pray that your word would be like a seed planted in good soil in our hearts and would bear fruit, would produce action. God, I pray that every person in here who claims to be a Jesus follower would ask themselves the hard questions today based on this letter. Am I holding to the truth? Am I keeping to the works of Jesus? Does my faith produce action? God, we love you and we trust you with all of this. It's in your holy name that we pray. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you stand with me? We've got prayer workers on the side that would love to pray with you if you need prayer for anything at all. But here's my prayer for us today. May we, the church at Great Oaks, be known for our works of love, faith, service, and patient endurance, just like Thyatira. May we take false teaching and divisiveness serious and get rid of it. And may we hold fast what we've already been given and keep to the work of Jesus Christ until he returns. My encouragement to you is just like it is every week, make sure you talk this over with a life group. Somebody in a brown shirt out there in the lobby will help you get plugged into a life group if you're not already in one. And then my challenge to you is that if you've been helped to take your next step towards God today, so go out and help others take their next steps towards God. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Come back next week for letter number five. You are not dismissed. You are sent. Go be a light in a dark place this week.